Welcome to the Looper Podcast, the show where we make the rounds with interesting golf personalities. Here's your host, Eric Payton. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning into the show today. Today's episode is with Chris Zugel. He's the golf course superintendent at Whistling Straits in Haven, Wisconsin, specifically the Straits course, which is their uh, top one. It's uh, number 21 in the country overall golf course, and it's the number three public golf course in the country according to golf digest um it's also held a lot of really amazing tournaments the pga championship has been there in 2004 2010 and 2015 it's held the held the u.s senior open in 2007 and it will be holding the Ryder cup in 2020 so that'll be really cool to watch for um and so chris has some really great insights on the golf course and his business his uh role in preparing that course uh for the best in the world um so i hope you enjoyed this episode. My name is Chris Zugel. I'm the golf course superintendent of the Straits course at Whistling Straits in Haven, Wisconsin. Awesome. Thank you. So uh, did you start playing golf when you were young? I did. I started playing golf maybe when I was 10, 10 or 11. We were members at a private club in Atlanta, and I joined um, kind of a, a group of young guys, and, and we played in the, the youth tournaments and things like that. And uh, through college, I stopped playing golf and then picked it up after I graduated. Okay. And what club were you a member at in Atlanta? Berkeley Hills. Okay. Uh, it's on the north side. Uh, it's a beautiful golf course. It uh, They had 27 holes, and they recently, they, I think so went into some financial difficulty from what I understood and kind of sold off one of their nines to, to put in houses. And, but it, it's a beautiful course. I've been only been back once since we left, but, uh, but I love it. Okay. And then you said you kind of stopped playing golf in college. Um, where, where did you go to college and what were you studying there and how'd you kind of make that transition? Um, it was, uh, that's kind of interesting. I, so growing up in Atlanta, I graduated high school in 1996, and I wanted to basically leave Atlanta. Um, it's like everybody came for the Olympics and, and didn't leave. And so I, I just wanted to get out of town and um, ended up going to Colorado State, where I was going to study liberal arts. I uh, wanted to be a history teacher. Um, it was, you know, never horticulture, was never really uh, kind of on my radar. So I went there hoping to study liberal arts. The first day of school, they uh, you take a little test, or I think the my daughter just did it in middle school to see what you're going to be. You know, you're, you're going to be a police officer or a cook or things like that. And um, one of the things that popped up on the test that I took during the orientation was a landscape architect, and I was like, oh, really? That sounds really fun. Maybe I'll I'll pursue that and get into something along those lines. So I switched everything. So I, you know, wasn't really registered for too many classes because most of it was general ed. And I switched everything over and I was full bore into landscape architecture and bought all the drafting stuff and, um, you know, kind of going that route. Um, and after the first semester, it was, I was in that, the, the drafting room until like three, four in the morning and it was getting old. And one day I was walking through the halls and there was a, a guy, you know, just in the, in the landscape or in the horticulture building and walked by and I'm like, Hey, you know, what are you, what are you studying? He's like, turf grass management. And I'm like, turf grass management. Like you can, you can do that. 
And he's like, yeah, you can, you know, golf courses or baseball fields. And, you know, I love golf and I love baseball. Um, and my grandfather worked for the Milwaukee Brewers uh, from 1969 to 1984. So I had, you know, I, I spent time in, in Milwaukee and would go on County Stadium on the, on the field when I was younger. And it, it was always something I liked that it just it's one of those things you didn't really know it was a career. Um, so I, I switched everything over. So luckily a lot of the landscape architecture courses were base, like basic classes for the landscape horticulture, um, degree that I ended up getting. Um, and then with the thought of going into baseball, um, and then, but after four years of school, um, like wasn't really feeling baseball. Um, I did an internship with the Milwaukee Brewers while I was in school and, uh, graduated, didn't really have anything. You know, nothing was really set, and my parents were living in Sheboygan at the time, and they were just finishing building the Irish course at Whistling Straits. So um, I asked my my dad, I'm like, can I live in your basement and work on the um, work at the golf course? And he's like, sure, no problem. I think he just wanted to go golf for free. I think that was his, his side hustle on that. But so I lived in their basement. You know, it was probably, you know, if I was down there for four hours a night, it was, that was a lot. I mean, it was sun up to sundown working, um, and, you know, learned a lot that first, that first year on the golf course. And, um, so that was kind of how I got the start. Yeah. So when you were in college in, uh, in landscape architecture, did you have any desire to, uh, do golf course design or was that just kind of, um, making the jump to the, um, turf grass management? Was that uh, more of a, a big shift. Yeah, there wasn't any, I mean, it really never even thought that I'd, to be honest with you, I really didn't know that there were golf course architects, you know, you hear about them, but I just figured there are people that, um, you know, the, uh, the Olmstead brothers or things like that, you know, we read about these guys, but I, and I knew people would have to design golf courses, but it wasn't something that it was like, Oh, I'll go to school to be a landscape or a golf course architect. So it was, um, that wasn't in the intention. Um, I think that's what, kind of helps my mind work as I'm on the golf course now is that understanding of architecture. Um, you know, the, the understanding of all the designs and everything that's the way things look, um, you know, it's important to, to maintaining a golf course like Whistling Straits, uh, to, cause there's so much design stuff going on and, and it's all, I mean, it's all manufactured. So it's there, everything is put in a place for a reason. Um, so that really starts to hit home when you, when you see it and have an understanding of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you were, you did an internship with Milwaukee Brewers and then, then end up at a golf course. I'm, I'm a huge baseball fan as well. Um, but those two jobs in my mind seem very different. One seems very, um, one seems like a very big job and very complicated. I would say the golf course and then the, the, the baseball more, uh, standardized. Did you see, um, a lot of overlap between those two uh, positions, or was it a, a, almost a shock to move to golf? Um, the there's a lot of attention. You know, we especially going working where I work. It's a it's a very high. I wouldn't say high stress, but it's a high pace environment where there's always things going on. And the same it was the same at the Brewers. Um, so I think it's that's more of how I operate, and a little bit more in the high pace. You know, there's always something going on. There's always a project to move to, and um, there's you got to manage a bunch of people. You got to manage a bunch of people that want to use your your space. You know, it's it's 
it's kind of similar in that in that realm um a little so not only working for the brewers as an intern uh as an assistant i was working um i guess we'll we'll finish the whole even the career path from that point so i i graduated worked on the irish course wanted to get an assistance job and so i just looked at finding a place near a beach um that was it so i went to the golf course superintendents association website searched up places and if it was five miles from a beach i would apply to it and i ended up getting a job in coral springs florida as an assistant at the tpc at eagle trace um and worked there for two years and realized um working the the amount of hours that i did i never got to the beach i think i went to the beach like twice while i lived there in two years and it was one time it fried my back and the other time i i was probably the winner but i just uh you know, I got the, the farmer, the eternal farmer's tan. My wife says I always have a white t-shirt on. Um, but it's, uh, so I never saw the beach. Um, and then ended up, met my wife actually down there. And she said she, the only place she wouldn't move would be Wisconsin. So uh, being the gentleman I am, uh, we moved to Wisconsin. Um, and uh, it's got got a job as an assistant at Whistling Straits. I worked at Black Wolf Run on the river course as an assistant. Um, and then... Uh, I got a call from the the gentleman that I worked for at the Brewers to come back and manage the field at the at uh, Miller Park. So, um, so I kind of d- debated it with my wife and decided that it wouldn't be, you know, it's not like I would have to go down that road. It would be something that would be interesting. And I looked at it like a call up to the majors. You know, like it's not every day you get to be called up to manage a major league baseball field, which was my dream from the beginning. So I was like, man, this is all working out. Um, and then after maybe six months into it, I just realized like my heart was in golf. You know, you miss those. We went to play golf one day while the team was out of town and, uh, we, you know, we first tee time and we rolled up to the club and it was, you know, the, the dews out there and you can smell the grass and it's like, just, it was, um, all I'm thinking about is, man, I missed this part of the job. You know, the, the mornings are that solitude in the morning, um, you know, working in baseball field, it was nice, but it's more of an industrial, more of like a urban type uh, feel to everything. I mean, there's it was great. I wouldn't trade it for the world, but it it was at that moment I was like, I got to get back into golf. Um, and then coincidentally, the two of the superintendents up at Whistling Straits left, um, and then I uh, got the job back up on uh, on the Straits course. So it's then that's where we're we're at from here, but. But the, the similarities are, are there, you know, as far as major championships that I've been associated with. And then I was in the, the Brewers went to the playoffs and I worked for the Milwaukee Brewers. So it was, you know, that high intensity, you know, a lot of eyeballs on you. Is, it gets exciting. It kind of gets you pumped. Um, but it's 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 similar and different. You know, it's it's still growing grass. You know, I get I tell people when they ask me what I do, I, I, I cut grass. <laughs> You know, it's, I don't need to make it more complex than that. There's a lot more to it. Um, but if you just want to know, like, what I do, I mean, I I cut grass. So what would you say is your primary goal as the superintendent at Whistling? Um, when you're when you're preparing a course for the day, for, for the average golfer? Yeah. Um, what I look for and what I try to impress upon our staff is that the people that are playing out there, it may be... Uh, the only time they would play that course, um, it may be a bucket list. They may have saved up. It's not. It's not cheap to play out there. Um, you know, there's 
there's a lot of hurdles that people have to go through to, to get just to be able to play. And my goal is to make it as memorable for them as possible, um, you know, to make sure everything is presentable as possible and um, to the standards that if they play May 1st, it's the same as if they play September 1st. Um, you know, you don't want somebody to say like, man, I played in May and it was, mm, it was all right. Or, um, you know, I don't want to kind of peak it. It's, it kind of stay. I like to keep it pretty, pretty consistent. We'll push for some things just to kind of test um, you know, as a superintendent, it's nice to kind of see where you can push the limits of the turf. And, um, for the previous PGA championships, we would push in August and we try and like push it to get to a certain point. So there's, there's probably people that have played in August of timeframes before and after events that we've had, and they've probably experienced a little bit different conditions, maybe a little bit more similar to a PGA championship. And then, you know, in the fall now, I'm starting to look at Ryder cup and where we're how we're going to prepare the golf course for the Ryder cup and what we can do for it. And just to kind of know, you don't want to get into a tournament week and then realize you need to do something and find out you can't do it. And the only time you found out is the week of the tournament. That's, you know, it's not a, not a good place to be. Yeah. Yeah. So with those major championships and Ryder cups and all those sorts of things that, that whistling has, has held and will hold, what is that process for, for preparing for those things you've you've had a i believe under since you've been there a 2010 pga and a 2015 pga right and then a 2020 Ryder cup coming up right so uh, what is that process like when do you when do you first learn that you're going to be holding a major championship uh and then what are you doing even this far in advance you know a year and a half out from the Ryder cup to prepare your golf course for the biggest stage yeah so that's um you know we i was an assistant at black wolf run for the 2004 pga championship which i and i got to help out so i got to see kind of it's been kind of a little bit of a i've been really lucky to be able to almost um it seems like a lot of it happened fast but when you think about it i was kind of actually indoctrined into it like quite quite well because i was an assistant at black wolf run and I got to see the planning process for the 2004 PGA Championship just on that way outside. I mean, uh, very, very far removed from the planning of it, but I'm kind of seeing it, kind of seeing what's happening. And then we got to volunteer for it. So I got to see kind of how everything worked out. Um, and then I came over as an assistant for the 2007 uh, U.S. Senior Open. So now I'm more involved in it, but I'm not really, I don't have as much skin in the game, um, you know, in that in that realm and it's you know the it's a little bit smaller tournament than the pga championship you know spectators and expectations and things like that or expectations i shouldn't say are are different you know we still want it to be perfect and and dialed in but um you know there's just a little bit different pressure when you get to certain stages that are, are just a little just move a little bit um and then so then leaving for a while working for the brewers and seeing how that was and then coming back and being like dumped right into the PGA championship. So when I got back in 2010 it was like and here we go. You know, so it's like like oh so I kind of knew what we did and I had things that we did in 2007 that as an assistant when you're working and doing things it's you see the different side of then when I you know, if I direct somebody to do something and I, I leave and they're working on it, they're like, oh, that guy's crazy. Um, this doesn't work at all. So I got to see that part of things. Like I got to see like, well, this didn't work, you know, we should change this. And so I got to, you know, put my, um, kind of 
what would work for me and what I felt was better than in previous tournaments. I, you know, I got to do that. So then that we basically started planning for 15 right after 10. Um, it was five years of planning. So, I mean, it's, we're always thinking of it. We're always trying to figure out where that is. So we're, there's not a lot of stuff that happens for, you know, we're not cutting the greens for 2015 and 2011 or anything like that, but we're, we're definitely trying out different things. We don't want to get into 2015 and, and, be like, ah, oh, I think this will work. And then all of a sudden, you know, something goes, goes awry. So we're, you know, we're trying everything out. We're, we're preparing as far as what we're going to do that week. And we target the same, you know, the, the similar time frame in that, in the year so that it's not the exact dates, but we're going to, you know, time it. Um, and then, so we got all that going on, got all like volunteer coordination going on, all that sort of stuff as we prepare. And the same thing happened. So right after 15, actually the fall of 15, I started to think about the Ryder Cup for 2020. So we started to push greens, um, you know, see what they could do, you know, because it's, it's the Wisconsin weather is, um, it's not very predictable. Um, you know, the, even the the long range forecast in 15 was saying it was going to be like highs of 60 during the week. And it ended up being like in the nineties and just humid. And that, you know, through sometimes it can throw you a curveball. So getting as many chances to kind of see where you're at is nice. So, you know, we've been looking at the weather in September and to kind of seeing what that's going to do and where we can be as far as green speed and, and rough and what a bunkers look like and how does this play and all that sort of stuff. So, we've been doing that since 2000, 2015. So, um, and that's kind of something that I don't think many people, you know, not to, I think superintendents, I uh, think we sometimes are in the, in the back and I, I like being back and, you know, kind of behind everything. And, um, but I think when you watch tournaments on TV, the amount of preparation that go into, um, these, it's years of, of thinking about things and years of talking and years of, kind of trying different things and just seeing what works and it's so in 2020 when the week rolls around all the everything you see it's been it's been run by at least five times so it's um you know when you're talking about grass which doesn't grow you know you're basically watching the grass grow for five years and seeing how it's doing yeah i was going to ask you what do you think the average golfer doesn't realize about the superintendent's job um how much preparation goes into the major championships but when it comes to Every, every everyday play is there anything that you think um maybe the average golfer would be surprised at what you're doing day to day um you know i think they'd be surprised at how complex it is i think once and like an average golfer wouldn't be aware of how much we get leaned on to do different things um as a golf professional and um, you know, staff at the clubhouse and things like that, they, they'll start to realize and value the, the role of the superintendent. But I think an average golfer, if you're just going to go out and you're going to go to your, your local golf course and, and play golf and you don't know the pro personally and you don't know the superintendent personally, you don't realize that that superintendent's been up since four in the morning and he's had to go change the the stove in the clubhouse and he had to change a light bulb at the snack shack and he had to clean the clean the toilets in the, the halfway house and then he had to grind reels and he had to replace an engine and then he had to do payroll and then he you know the the complexity of a superintendent's job is is pretty immense um and i think i probably don't do it justice by saying i cut grass um you know i could i could maybe come up with something different but you know i think people start to get bored if they just see that i work on a golf course and a assume that i'm a good golfer when i tell them that i'm not a great golfer they just then think I know how to 
fix their lawn. So then we get into that, and then they ask what I do. And then if I go into this long speech about all the things that I do in a day, I think their their eyes just glass over, and they're like, oh, I just thought he cut grass. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So kind of back to the uh, major championships and the Ryder Cups, um, is there something specific you are – Kind of, kind of looking forward to the 2020 Ryder Cup. Is there something maybe you've learned from the 2015 PGA that you were like, oh, I need to do that differently, or I would like to try this out for this upcoming Ryder Cup? Something that people who are watching um, would would kind of keep an eye out for. Um, it's funny. We were, I was just talking about that the other day with somebody. Um, we were just talking about what what was learned, if anything, from previous tournaments, and and we learn a lot, and I think that's what we we almost learn too much um, that we we have too many um, case studies of what went wrong in previous tournaments that we don't try anything new again. Um, but the the thing, you know, the volunteers is always the amount of volunteers. We'll probably have about 95 to 100 volunteers for the Ryder Cup uh, from around the world that'll come in. And every year we learn something different with that. Um, you know, that's something that's always evolving and uh in the industry, we're always looking at what's a, what, what do other people do and not necessarily copying, but man, you know, that's a great idea. They gave their guys a water bottle that they could bring on the golf course. Um, or, you know, they got a, a, a sun hat or something like that, you know, cause it was going to be sunny or whatever it is, you know, looking at those sort of things, that's a big one for us. Cause we can't do, we couldn't hold the Ryder cup without the volunteers. So trying to show that appreciation for all that they did and do is key for us. Um, you know, you learn a little bit agronomically as far as, um, you know, when to fertilize, when to mow, when to roll, what certain speeds you get out of certain things. Um, if it's going to be a, you know, how much speed you get out of a roll after a mow and after a double roll and all that sort of stuff. So we kind of know a little bit more. Um, again, it throws a little bit of a curveball, being that it's in September and we haven't had a September event. So all our anything we learn is just based off of, you know, trials that we've done. Um, but there's, you know, as far as I think green speeds, we, the, it was nice that I got, you know, great compliments on the greens during the PGA championship. They were, you know, they were bad and good. They could drain putts from anywhere. Um, they were just rolling. I think for everybody talked about how true they were and, and rolling nice. Um, so like we've, you know, learned some stuff from that as far as, um, you know, how, how to get those into that condition. Um, you know, we had some unforeseen rain on 15 that, that softened the golf course a little bit more than we wanted. Um, so it's, it's knowing that sort of thing and there's, there's stuff you can control and stuff you can't, but, um, I think we're in a good spot. So are you, when, when those guys come in to run a tournament, are you giving a whole lot of, uh, input and feedback on, where they should put pin positions and that sort of because I'm assuming you focus more on the the grass and the rough and, or in in the bunkers and that sort of stuff, um, and then the PGA or whatever governing body comes in, are are they solely choosing the pin positions and the tee positions and that sort of stuff, or are you kind of working with them to do that? Nope. So the pin location. So I've been fortunate enough to work with Kerry Higg. Uh, for the past two PGA championships that we've had. And then for the Ryder cup as well, he'll be um, the tournament director for it. So he's, he knows the golf course extremely well. He's, he's been running 
you know, PGA is there since 2004. So he's got three, three tournaments of experience. He's well aware of what we can do and what we can't, um, pin locations. He's, he kind of, he has an idea of where pin locations can be and where they can't and what he wants the scores to be on certain days. Um, you know, to, to, to make the golf course, you know, the easier and harder and, you know, you go through the whole three hard, three medium, three easy kind of pin rotation. Um, you know, T placement, it's, it's based on wind. It's based on uh gallery. I, we don't on the, on our maintenance side of things, we don't have any input in that. I don't, I don't ask. He, you know, he might say what I think about a certain pin location if it gets fast and what, you know, if it's going to run out differently than, than what he's seeing, he might just look for confirmation, but, but he's the, he's the sole, the sole uh, kind of setup host in that case. So, rough height, green speeds, you know, fairway, watering, all that sort of stuff is just run by him. Okay. Um, so this next one's kind of a dual question. What do you, what do you enjoy most about your job? And then, um, what's the most difficult part? Um, I think the, the beauty of what I get to experience every day is probably something that it's hard to describe. Um, it's hard when I think people realize it when they see it, um, the, sunrises on the straights course the sun sets um you know there's light during the day that's pretty cool um it's just it's just very very pretty place to work um it's you know it's quiet we're out in the middle of nowhere basically um beer on the water it's 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 great and i think you know the the thing that's probably the most frustrating is probably the weather as well you know it's the thing that you love and the thing that you hate it's you can't control it it's never uh, what you want when you want it to be. Um, and it, you again, going back to trying to provide the best conditions for everybody. I wish I could, you know, just turn a dial and be like, all right. And you know, the end of April, I'd like it to be 70 with 60% humidity and a quarter inch of rain once a week. Um, you know, but you can't. So then there you get like a stretch where, you know, we just had eight tenths of an inch of rain this morning. Um, and of course took it pretty good but it's going to be a lot softer than it had been leading up to it you know it was getting um getting real firm getting real fast and it was playing nice um and, and then you get rain so uh, you know sometimes it's the luck of the draw and when your tea time is and and what you're gonna what you're gonna see but it's uh, you know that's my goal so it's you put so much stress you know whether it's our guys um you know the the work that they have to do i don't want to put any more stress on them than they need uh, i want to make their job as easy as possible so it's you know, the weather just is like a constant driver of so much stress um, in our line of work. So earlier you had said, um, you know, th- you want to create the best experience for the people who are who are playing your golf course, because for a lot of them, it's, you know, a once in a lifetime thing. I think is whistling top 20 now. Is it right around 20 in the in the country, right? In the country? Um, I should know this better. It went, I think it went up. We might be, we might have cracked the top 20 now. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those best courses you can play. Um, for people who maybe haven't played the course or, you know, want to get there someday, what is it that makes, makes it unique and makes it so special? Help, can you help them kind of, um, maybe experience it through, uh, just through explaining what, what the course is like? Yeah. Um, I think I had a chance to experience it. I'm, I feel like I may be a little bit jaded on the, the experience of the golf course because I see it every day. So it's it's one of those things where 
and you're like, oh, well, whatever, it's whistling straights. But then you, and then you see people, and they're just like, you know, the draws drop, and they're just in awe of the property. Um, I went out to Pebble Beach for the U.S. Open, um, and the first experience you walked out, I just went through the you know the main entrance for the spectators, and you get out and um, the the view you walk down these steps and they have you know the u.s open the big sign right there and then like in the background is monterey bay and the golf course kind of lays out there and it's my my jaw dropped you know i'm just like oh <laughs> and the mounds are in the background and the you know seagulls are are squawking and um that's what whistling brings to the the way the golf course is set up the way that pete Dye designed it and you the you know, you get your bags and you, you walk down this little hill to the first, going to the first tee, uh, you cross a bridge and then come up. And when you get to the first tee, it's just like, bam, you know, the, the golf course. I mean, the, the immensity of everything is the bunkers. You can see the lake in the background. Um, it just kind of lays out for you. Um, and then you keep going on and it's everything you see is just, it's, you know, beautifully pushed hills and bunkers carved just just so so it you know it's uh and i'll just kind of as you just keep and that keeps going you know like you, you don't lose it and then you turn around and it's just maybe a little bit different light because of the the way you're walking now is just a little bit different and it's just the the scale of things is so um is what i think is what people you know are are more drawn to and more impressed with yeah yeah do you have a favorite hole on the course um, probably number seven. It's a, it's a kind of a medium length par three, um, kind of right on the water. It's the, you, know, you uh, three is a par three. They're basically right back to back on each other with three plays to the south and seven plays to the north. Okay. Um, yep. I remember those. Yep. It's, uh, it's a cool place to watch. Um, during the tournaments, the, the hillside is, is packed with people. Um, the, the green complex on 14 is probably if you stand on 15 T and you look at 14 green and like to the left side of 15 fairway, not necessarily even looking at the, the holes in general, but just that, that area has always um, attracted me to it. You know, like it's always something where you're like, this is really neat. The way it's shaped and the way the grass is growing um, is just, uh, it's beautiful. So you mentioned that uh, Pete Dye is the designer. Uh, that's a name that, a lot of golfers are going to be familiar with. Um, is he ever stopped out at the course, or is there any um, ongoing relationship with him now that it's you know that it's his course? Yeah, um, Pete Dye and Mr. Kohler are are very good friends. Um, I've been fortunate enough to spend uh, some time with Pete walking around um talking about the golf course he was up for the u.s women's open in 2012 and i spent a couple days with him um just walking the golf course um not looking at anything specific just kind of walking and looking at things and um you know and to to spend that much time with him and to think of how far he goes back in the golf design world you know now that i'm more familiar with all this stuff i'm like well you know geez he knows basically everybody um and in golf you know he's it's like the whole six degrees of separation kind of thing like he's like one away from everybody you know it's it's crazy so in the stories he tells and the when he talks about like what he's looking for in a certain hole how he wanted it to play what he thought you should think of on the tee not that it makes me a better golfer but when i play golf now i'm like oh i know what you're trying to do here you're trying to make me do i oh you want me to hit it here like i got what you're doing so and it's all those things like it's 
you don't notice it when you're just looking at it, when you're just playing it, when you're just walking. Um, you know, when I go to a golf course, I sometimes I'd rather just walk it more than play it because I think I ruin it when I play it. But when I walk it, I can kind of see, visualize what I would do if it was, you know, if I could hit my five iron 180 yards all the time. Um, you know, like that would be great. Um, but I know that I'm going to probably skull four out of, four out of ten of them. So. Um, and then it ruins it. And then I'm like, oh, great. Now I'm in this bunker lip and um, that sort of thing. But walking it, you get to see that sort of stuff. And, and Pete's, you know, his vision and his un, like understanding of golf design is it's like genius level. Um, you know, it's just in a different, he, he's just amazing at what he does. And he, you know, he's walking everywhere. He, he goes and it's not like he even wants a cart. He just wants to walk. Um, so it's really cool. So a lot of um, courses have been making changes, whether it's um, lengthening golf courses or, you know, all sorts of things that there's kind of this evolution of not a lot of golf courses, at least the top golf courses that I know of, um, stay the same from the day they were built, you know. Um, have there been any major changes to whistling uh, since you've been there? And, and maybe are there some that you hope to see coming, maybe that have come from a conversation with Pete Dye? Um, there's been multiple changes. Probably every hole has seen some change from the initial day. So if you played it on opening day in 98, um, you know, a lot of the holes are, they're not necessarily unrecognizable, but they're different enough. Um, and that's the cool thing about Pete Dye and, and Mr. Kohler is that they look at it as a work of art. Like you said, like there's always evolution to things. There's always um, this could be tweaked like this, or man, I really wish I would have turned that green a little bit this way, or I wish there was a bunker right here instead of over there. Uh, you know, all that sort of stuff is, uh, is always on their radar. It's always, um, something that they're looking at improving, you know, like, does it, what will make the course better? You know, just cause it's, it's designed, people are expecting it to be a certain way. doesn't mean that that's the way it should stay. Um, so Pete's been very, very kind of cautious about the things he does and the things he changes and it, whether it's a runoff area that doesn't really fit anymore. Um, you know, we've changed since I've been there, we've probably changed nine holes, um, little bits of them. Um, and just not, not major things, nothing that we even closed down holes for just kind of little bits and pieces around, uh, adding tees or, or moving some bunkers around greens or adding bunkers. Um, Mow lines, things like that, are are kind of changed here and there to make it make it a little different. Now, is he consulted for all of those, or is that something that you kind of have some freedom to to work with? Nope. Yeah. So everything goes runs through Pete. Um, we really stay away from um, you know the old Tom Morris um, end of things, where you know you had a had a bunker here, or the you know you hear about a superintendent that was mad because they were driving it to a certain area and plops a bunker in there. Like I'm. That's a, I'm not that, that's a different level than what I'm at. <laughs> now it's, is there any change that's coming up, uh, before even the 2020 Ryder Cup? Are you pretty much, as far as the format and the layout of the course, is that pretty much set? Yeah, the, the format, everything on the course, tees, fairways, greens, bunkers is, is as it is right now. So if you were to play it tomorrow, it's going to be the same, um, you know, there's so many different tees. We have five sets of tees as it is, and then there's, you know, upwards of eight tee boxes on holes. So there's variability in it, um, you know, for distance and playing them at different, different lengths and drivable par fours to, you know, to 
of super long par fours. Um, the par threes are, you know, infinite number of yardages on them, so they're can go back and forth a lot as well. Um, well, so there's there's one question that I always like to wrap up with. Um, I might uh, I, I'll, I'll ask it to you and, and see what you say and maybe tweak it a little bit. But what is your favorite golf course? And the way I'm going to tweak it is, if it's whistling, what's your second favorite? My favorite golf course would probably be Pine Hills in Sheboygan. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful private course, tucked in. Um, tucked in the, the woods in Sheboygan. Um, it was, from what I understood too, it's it's kind of Pete Dye would go there and, and play when he was first designing Black Wolf Run. They were, that's where they basically kind of hung out and, and played around. And it's it's just a, a simple, tough, beautiful golf course. It's one that you could play, and I think you could play it every day of the week and enjoy it. You wouldn't get sick of it. It's enough variability and enough enough fun off every hole that I think you'd, you'd love it, but, uh, got to keep it in Sheboygan, but my favorite, if, uh, if I was to, to pick a golf course, you said you can only play one golf course for the rest of your life. I would pick Pine Hills. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, we'll have to, uh, have to check that out if I ever get a chance to, uh, get on there. So, um, so is there any way that, uh, people can follow you, keep up with what's, what you're doing on the golf course or anything like that on social media or whatnot? Yeah. Uh, um, kind of, I go in spurts on Twitter, um, at C Zoogle. Um, it's kind of try and keep it, keep it lively. Um, it's a lot of just, some days it's just a picture of, of the golf course. Like I said, it's just, there's sometimes when it's pretty and I feel like I got to share it with everybody. Um, or just maybe my kids and things like that. But it's, uh, it's usually usually pretty fun. Um, I like Twitter. It's kind of a nice place to, to keep up with all the industry, all the golf industry stuff. All right. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show here. It was really interesting to hear uh, what you're doing, all the things going on at Whistling. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate uh, you taking the time to, to talk to us today. Yeah, well, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and rate The Looper wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Looper Podcast. Talk to you next time.